in Canada, you know, this this endeavor to to restrict flavors, it's relatively new. 85% of of the products used by 1.1 million Canadians. Something is going to fill that void. And that's not it's not going to be legal. So by definition, it is going to go into the black market. Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. When public health policymakers implement flavor bans or other restrictions to reduce the appeal of nicotine vaping products to youth, inevitably, these interventions have an equivalent impact on adult consumers. Banning or restricting flavors drastically reduces the appeal of vaping for adults too. And for the over 1 million adult Canadians who rely on safer nicotine products, a ban on flavors could mean a return to smoking. Even Health Canada admits to this possible consequence of its proposed national flavor ban. Joining us today to discuss the intended and unintended consequences of the proposed flavor ban is Daniel David, president of VITA, the Vaping Industry Trade Association of Canada. Dan, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, Brent. In the regulatory impact statement and analysis that Health Canada produced for the proposed flavor ban, what are the known consequences? So, so there is there is a number of uh, consequences that were considered in their regulatory impact analysis. Uh, there were, I mean, unknown. The, the, the one of the major ones was an unknown proportion of dual users, um, and dual users would be defined as 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 people who are currently vaping but also smoking at the same time. Typically, that's you know a person who is transitioning over to vaping. Uh, that that some of them are going to be uh, expected to return to uh, smoking, and and obviously that increases their exposure to toxic chemicals and and various hazards. Now that's an unknown number. Um, another uh, another impact uh, that they did recognize there was uh, that it would likely discourage some adult smokers uh, from switching over to vaping. Uh, now, there's another two uh, big ones here, uh, one of them being the economic impact to the industry. So the economic impact uh, to the industry uh, was really determined by looking at what happened, and, and they did look at what happened in, in Nova Scotia. Uh, however, they, they really looked at a specific uh, area, and, and what they did was they looked at the uh, closed pod sales in Nova Scotia and the loss of sales. So that these are reported weekly. Um, and that decline was at 14.3%. Uh, and that was some that was a number that they had, but but they applied that right across the board. Now, what wasn't included was any impact really on on vape shops. And I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more of that later. Yeah, uh, let me ask you yeah. for a second, Daniel, for some yep. of our viewers that are unaware of what happened in Nova Scotia. Set the set the stage. Uh, what happened sure. in Nova Scotia? Well, I, I mean, within within the first sixty days of the flavor ban going into effect, and we do have to remember that you know there was also a nicotine aspect, a nicotine restriction, which you know the federal government has also uh, implemented, uh, and there was also some new taxation. Uh, but right off the bat, within the first sixty days, we lost almost fifty uh, percent of the industry, like right off the bat. Uh, Stores were shutting down all over, um, 50% of, of an industry, and it was just slightly under that. I think it was 48 or 44%. Um, but, but I mean, it's, it's a significant amount because they're, they're small businesses uh, that are 
you know, by run by entrepreneurs, they they have employees. That's not an insignificant number, and and they shut down right off the bat. And you know, the others now are still are still struggling, uh, especially with all the other measures that are in place. So, what we did, you know, we really wanted to try and understand that impact. So that's why we we tracked it. We talked to individual vape shop owners and and this was based on on what they were telling us and and what happened and it's it's tragic really so when you have an action like this when a regulator intervenes in a marketplace it's usually to solve a problem and that problem obviously is the issue around youth use is that a valid problem well so i mean anytime you see youth using uh an adult only product i mean it, it, it it's an important issue to address of course and, and so so yeah it's absolutely valid uh but it's all and it's also a a, a concern that the industry shares uh that said i mean adult only products are not a new concept uh we have laws that are implemented and and need to be adequately enforced and this, this is one of the reasons why we have you know secret shoppers and and investigators that that go in and and that's typically done by provincial governments uh, coordinating with, with federal as well. Now, uh, Dan, it's been a while since we last had you on the show. So take a moment to fill our viewers in on Vita. What is it and who's behind the effort? Yeah, sure. Sure. Uh, so, so, uh, Vita is it's, we're an industry trade association. Uh, we, we represent companies of all sizes operating, you know, across Canada, uh, within the Canadian market. Uh, our members include uh, vape shops, vape shop chains, um, uh, distributors, manufacturers, closed pod uh, system suppliers. Basically, the whole range um, uh, of the vaping industry uh, is, is who we represent, uh, from the very smallest to the very largest. Um, and so really, you know, our mission is, is that representation and supporting the Canadian vaping industry. Uh, in advocating for harm reduction, for youth prevention, uh, and for evidence-based regulations. Not to mention, you know, we also advocate for uh, best-in-class, you know, quality and safety standards. Um, we also do a lot of a lot of work in the area of uh, compliance and research. Uh, for us, I mean, you know, understanding a a problem or an issue. Uh, is is the first step in really trying to address it. You can't address an issue unless you really understand it, and and that's that's you know creating solutions and and that type of thing. That that's that's the core of what of what we're trying to do, uh, and that that applies to to compliance and it also applies to to youth uptake. Well, that begs the question then: Do you think Health Canada fully understands this issue? Well, I. I, I I think that Health Canada has made certainly a an effort to understand. Uh, unfortunately, I think you know one of the problems is here is is that they've they've missed a number of uh, areas just to, to 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 examine and to to look at and and there's there's a whole scope um, where you know it's it's great if you. You know, you look at uh, uh, the the impact on uh, you know labeling standards. You you look at the impact on the industry for um, 
you know, inventory issues, um, uh, various other things, you know, along that line. But if you don't consider, you know, the impacts uh, uh, right across the uh, uh, on the full scope, you know, you're going to have you're going to have an issue. And and unfortunately, uh, in the review for these uh, regulations, uh, they they didn't consider you know the impact on on vape shops. They, they what they essentially did is they took the number of of uh, sales or the sales uh, numbers in Nova Scotia from closed pod system sales. So these are done in um, uh, uh, convenience stores, that type of that type of distribution point. Uh, and they, they determined what the drop was. They used that number and that number was 14.6%. Uh, uh, it, it was a reduction in, in closed pod sales in Nova Scotia after a flavor ban was implemented there. Now they took that and they applied it right across the board without considering that, okay, you know, we had nearly 50% of the shops closed. That wasn't, that wasn't part of the equation. So yeah, they, they did put in a lot of work to, to try and understand the issue, but they missed some pretty significant areas. You know, so it's so often the case, Dan, I mean, it's crazy, but you know, when governments enact policy, which is intended to reduce a specific risk, it tends to explode other risks in ways unintended and incomprehensible. Do you think that's a fair observation and how do you think it applies to the proposed flavor ban? Well, I mean, I, I, I do think it is a fair observation. I mean, um, it's one of the reasons that we have features that are built into the regulatory development process uh, that are specifically designed to address that issue. And, and you know, for example, the the um, when they released the Canada Gazette for this proposal, we had a regulatory impact analysis statement, and we had a cost benefit analysis that was done. These are these are initiatives that are done um, prior to proposing uh, any regulatory changes, and their their purpose really is to understand and then to balance the risks that are posed by possible unintended consequences and, and with the benefit of the proposed uh, measure. So, you know, the, the, the proposed flavor restriction is a regulatory measure. So, so those things were done, the unintended consequences were examined and they were included in the proposed uh, regulations. Um, you know, the, the challenge, one of the challenges is, is understanding and accounting for the full scope of these unintended consequences and factoring them in to the determination of benefit versus harm. So, you know, one of those things is is the black market, right? I mean, you know, and this is we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this, you know, as we go through. But, uh, you know, there were a number of of areas that that weren't adequately considered. And, and those have a very major impact on that equation of benefit versus harm. And if you don't, you know, account for the full scope of what it is, you know, your equation is going to be off. Now, the black market, obviously, I mean, that is the topic of today's episode and certainly been the focus of Vita and a bunch of the work that you've been doing over the last several months. I mean, has flavor bans already birthed the black market in Nova Scotia? And is that just a small example of what we could see across Canada if the national flavor ban is enacted? 
So yeah, well, I mean, I mean, let, we all also have to understand too that that uh, because it was a provincial regulation, yes, it it has had an impact, absolutely, and this is this is some of the research that that we've done and 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 uh, understood. Um, however, you know, th there is a difference between applying this type of regulation at a provincial level and applying it nationally. When you apply it nationally. It covers every company right across the board, and and some of what we've seen is, um, you know, for 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 the folks in Nova Scotia who, uh, you know, are affected by this this ban. Obviously, we have the 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 consequences to business and not all that kind of stuff. But but when it relates to consumers, you know, they still have options. They 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 can still order products from other provinces um, uh, that you know, are, are, are flavored and they can still be sent in, um, you know, but at the end of the day, like, like the, the impact of the, the Nova Scotia, uh, restrictions, you know, those are small in comparison to what it would be if it was national, if it was national, now we're really encouraging an illicit market. And we've already seen illicit market impacts in Nova Scotia. And, and that's what exactly uh, what you saw. This is uh, your submission to Health Canada, Vita submission uh, that went in in September, obviously connected to this research that we're talking about. It's the illicit market report impacts of upcoming vaping restrictions. You know, walk us through, you know, what you guys have done here and how important sure. is this research? Well, I think it's 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 incredibly important uh, before we we uh, consider especially such a, 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 a you know an impactful measure uh, an impactful regulation like this you know we need to understand what's going on what I mean I mean how does this impact the market how does it impact consumer behavior um, how does it impact business and 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 various other things so what we did is is uh, this uh, past August um, we had hired a, a a professional security firm that that specializes in investigating illicit market activity. That's that's what they do. They track, you know, illicit tobacco sales. They're involved with that. They understand how this uh, mechanism works. And you know, we don't. You know, that's why we hire uh, uh, professional firms like this. So so they did a a investigation um and they they did a number of inspections primarily the focus was in nova scotia uh and there were some uh, additional um uh, inspections that were done on on reserves in ontario and quebec again just to understand you know what's going on here and and what are the impacts of a measure like this uh even even the proposal even just proposing to ban flavors ha ha has an impact um but what we saw, you know, Nova Scotia, they have a flavor ban. It's very similar to what the federal government is proposing. Federal government is actually proposing something a little bit stronger. Uh, they have a sensory panel that's attached to it and that has its, you know, its own issues. They've got a, uh, an ingredient list uh, of, of approved uh, compounds that you would be able to use that's restricted to, I think is you know, 40 or 42 for tobacco and then tobacco flavors and then and then 41 or 42 for uh, mint and menthol flavors. 
but essentially, you know, proposing that we've got 80 some odd uh, flavor compounds, just compounds, not not flavorings in general, but, you know, the flavoring molecules. Um, now, with Nova Scotia, you know, their their restrictions are actually a bit more broad. Um, so so it was important to understand that impact. And, and the first thing that we did um, uh, for us, even before we, we started to look into the illicit market, was to understand what the impact was on the industry. And the impact on the industry was, was, was very obvious. It was very significant. And it happened in a very short period of time. So we had nearly, uh, nearly 50% of shops uh, close within the first 60 days. Now that that might not be a huge number of of shops, I uh, you know in a province like Nova Scotia, but when you look at this across the country, it does get pretty significant, and and it does have impacts on employment. But what we did then, uh, after understanding what the impact on the industry was, is is we hired this firm, uh, and then they sent in uh, secret shoppers to investigate and to understand. Okay, well you know of those remaining, what's happening here? Uh, it, it, you know, are these you know fully compliant businesses? Is is you know are they are they uh, operating uh, you know the way the government expects them to? Uh, and is this all all you know good clean products? Well, I mean, you know, not so much. Uh, and and you know the important point here though is is understanding the impact of the measures that are applied. Now, and, a big and, one, uh, Daniel, I yeah. just, uh, obviously there's lots here. I've got yeah. up on the screen this 25% increase in provincial cigarette sales after the Nova Scotia flavor ban. I mean, that's incredible. So, well, uh, so basically, and I've, and I've got the, uh, some numbers here for you. So, so uh, Nova Scotia did their, uh, their budget uh, very recently. And, and one of the things that they, they found was, was that the, the tobacco tax revenue uh, the the performance was was uh, a pretty significant. I, I mean, they they had a perform 106 uh, percent, which is the best for Nova Scotia since they've ever they began tracking. Uh, the, the the government actually credits this uh, uh, to a, a tax increase, but also and importantly, a 5.6 percent increase in tobacco consumption. Uh, that's wow. important to, to to remember. Now, the, the vaping uh, uh, tax revenue, so vaping is regulated at the same time. Um, and, and what they had estimated was a certain number. What they got was a 22.6% lower than the estimate. And that was primarily because the, uh, the, the uh, revenue for, or, or you know, the, the consumption of vaping products was far lower than, projection, than was projected. So, you know, again, what we have here is, all right, we've got tobacco tax revenue that's 5% higher due to increased consumption. We've got vaping tax that's 22%, 22.6% lower because uh, consumption was lower than projected. And this is within the same year that, that they Im implemented uh, uh, these measures. So, I mean, I think that that gives us, I mean, it's the only you know, major Canadian example that we can use. And all these things are, these are new types of measures. So, you know, a Canadian example is, is, is very valuable. Uh, but I mean, it, it gives us a really good understanding of, of what some of these impacts have. And, and it, yeah, you 
when you make uh, vaping products less appealing, uh, which means you, you take away the flavors that people rely on, yeah, of course. I mean, you're going to have a percentage of them that, all right, well, I don't like this anymore. I'm going to just, I might as well just go back to smoking. And, and, and especially with some of the perceptions that are out there about, about vaping and, and harm reduction, uh, you, you know, it, it's, it's easy to understand that the, the, you know, motivation behind consumer behavior on that, that type of issue. So right. it, it's very concerning and, and it should be uh, considered. And unfortunately, you know, within this, uh, I think the the budget was, came out after uh, the, the Canada Gazette. So they didn't have these numbers at that point. But we can learn a lot from what happened in Nova Scotia, and we should be. So we've got uh, Vita here has produced a great uh, uh, video, which we're going to run in its entirety. It's about six minutes, and it's totally worth spending the time to do that. And this really covers, you know, the fear. Well, not the fear. I guess the, the I mean, it is a fear, but it really covers this issue around the black market. This isn't a small thing that could potentially happen in Canada, you know, it's a likely thing. Let's, let's take a look, listen here at the video. Vaping has assisted hundreds of thousands of adult Canadians in their fight to stop smoking, many of whom have quit entirely. Why is the Canadian government trying to restrict such a successful harm reduction tool? when it acknowledges that vaping is considerably less dangerous than smoking. In July 2021, Health Canada proposed a federal ban on flavored vaping products, worrying that flavors have incentivized an uptick in youth vaping. However, according to Statistics Canada, vaping rates among youth are already on the decline, dropping 7% from 2019-2020. In 2019, illegal and unregulated THC vape pens caused global alarm in the media because of deaths related to THC vaping. Legal and regulated vaping products are currently experiencing the effect generated by this inaccurate negative media. The Public Health Agency of Canada recorded only 20 cases of vaping-related lung disease and zero deaths as of August 2020. Smoking, on the other hand, is estimated to kill 48,000 Canadians each year. Nova Scotia had an unexpected 5.6% increase in cigarette usage after enacting a provincial flavor ban similar to the proposed federal regulations, while vaping tax income decreased 22.6% in 2020-2021. The flavor ban is going to drive people back to smoking. It's going to drive my dad back to smoking. It's going to drive me to the black market. And it's going to kill people. And the government said so in their regulations. Uh, I would find a way of getting flavors. I, I, I wouldn't care what the government says. I would find a way of getting flavors. Nova Scotia is already seeing the consequences of the flavor ban. An August 2021 mystery shopping assessment found a growing trend of stores selling and producing unregulated product, circumventing provincial restrictions. One in three Nova Scotian stores visited by mystery shoppers sold flavored vaping products under the counter. Um, we have like a separate website. It's run by a couple of guys in New Brunswick. The contraband market is happy to provide whatever the legal market 
uh, is unwilling or is unable to provide. And so all we're going to see here is a, diff a diffusion effect. We're going to take a product that was legal um, and that was being taxed, and you're going to move it into the illicit realm uh, where people will be able to procure it more cheaply. Just to be prepared, we do carry flavored juice. We're going to continue, and we do offer shipping. Mystery shoppers also visited retail locations in both Ontario and Quebec, where they found a substantial supply of unregulated product as retailers prepared for the proposed ban. If the flavor ban goes into effect, black market entrepreneurs will fill the gap in the market left by an absence of legal flavored products with dangerous, unregulated ones. By definition, if it's a black market product, there is no quality control because anybody can produce in whatever fashion they want and they can use whatever product they would like. They can cut it in any way that they would like. And so we know that one of the reasons we actually want to have regulated legal markets is because we can provide safe products rather than the unregulated, extremely dangerous kinds that are being produced by organized crime. A strong, unenforceable black market full of unregulated products presents more danger to Canadian youth than a regulated market that allows the sale of flavors for adults looking for a smoking alternative. Well, the proposed regulation will now allow organized crime to fill the void of, of flavored vaping. I don't expect organized crime to act any differently than they do act with cocaine or other drugs when they produce them. These ill-gotten gains will allow organized crime to reinvest profits into other more serious crimes such as drug trafficking, weapon trafficking, human smuggling, money laundering, and terrorist financing. So rather than having a unregulated market, why not continue to have a regulated market selling uh, vaping products regulated by government, which will be extremely safe, much safer for Canadians than having an alternative market uh, that is controlled by organized crime. The ease at which anyone, including youth, can access unregulated vaping products online is alarming. With a simple Google search, consumers can find hundreds of websites that will ship straight to your door. We have another example here of, uh, I guess, measures that are well intended, especially by those who think that uh, it is uh, their prerogative in life to impose virtue uh, on the societies that they govern and in which they live, uh, but in a way that is divorced from the way human behavior actually works. And public policy works best when we take into account how human beings operate and then try to align it um, with human behavior rather than trying to impose uh, particular virtues on human beings, because ultimately it's very hard to change human behavior. So I think those last couple of uh, points that were made in terms of, you know, governments should not be imposing virtue and it's very hard to change human behavior. Those seem to be lessons that regulators have a really hard time learning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, we, we've understood that, that, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, we, like we should be meeting people where they are uh, as opposed to where, you know, what anybody thinks they should be. I mean, the reality is 
where you're at, you know, you need to understand that. And, and, uh, there, there's a challenge there, but I mean, you know, that there's, there's, it's not a simple issue, uh, but the illicit market is a concern. I think that, uh, is, is very underrepresented, uh, in, you know, this, the, the current proposal and, you know, the things that we found, um, are, are very concerning and should, they should really concern everybody. I mean, there's a lot of issues here. Now, I mean, you, the video talks about organized crime. The video stated drug trafficking, human smuggling, and weapons tra- trafficking could be a result. Now, are these actually real eventualities or is it just, you know, hyperbole or hysteria? No, well, I mean, like... A lot of people often associate like organized crime to to drugs and and weapons and and you know the thing is they don't often realize that a significant proportion of of that business activity actually includes sales of what are otherwise legal products sold in an illicit way. So whether it's it's non-compliant products, pro- products that are sold that that aren't taxed that aren't uh, quality controlled or regulated. They're a lot cheaper. Um, so, so that actually, it, it is a reality. And, and, you know, one of the things is here um, in Canada, you know, this, this endeavor to, to restrict flavors, it's relatively new, right? I mean, we, you know, I think it was April of 2020 uh, when the flavor restriction came into effect in Nova Scotia. Uh, so it, and and it's and that's a, a very local type of a situation, but you know, understanding the 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 broader picture, you know, quite frankly, if 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 you know, you look at this, the black this is a gift to the black market. If if we rest- we ban flavors, and think about it this way, we've got 1.1 at least 1.1 million vapors are people using vape products in Canada. 1.1 million at least. Now, 85, but and, and, and numerous surveys have shown this, at least 85% of those use non-tobacco, mint, or menthol products. So then what happens when you take away 85% of, of the products used by 1.1 million Canadians? Something is going to fill that void. And that's not, it's not going to be legal. So by definition, it is going to go into the black market. Uh, and and now we're we're pushing consumers either towards back towards smoking, which I mean is a very known harm. We have a we understand that the the quantity of harm that 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 causes, um, or we're sending them off to to black market and illicit sources that we have no controls over. We've got no regulations and quality standards. There's no tax uh, revenue that that comes from that to support enforcement of activities. There, there, there's nothing. It, it, it doesn't. When, when it's such a significant part of the industry, you know, supply and demand. If, if you take away supply, just like was said on the video, you take away supply from the legitimate legal industry that wants to be compliant, that understands these issues and and does every you know, takes takes initiative and 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 puts resources even into some of these programs that we do. Um, you take that away. What do you think that the that the criminals that are are supplying these products are are going to have any quality control standards? Try and 
you know, restricted to to uh, adults only. No, no, it's, it, it doesn't work that way. So, um, you know, we, we also we also know, I mean, so that we have a, a, a lot of new research that's been coming out about this this issue uh, lately. Uh, you know, we have some examples. Nova Scotia is a great one. There's there's another one from uh, San Francisco. Uh, but just recently, the Addictive uh, Behaviors uh, a Journal Study uh, uh, found some some pretty interesting, and, and they did a survey, and, and the, their survey included people from United Kingdom, Canada, the United States. Uh, and, and what they found was uh, they surveyed uh, vape product users and basically asked them, all right. I mean, if if you only had the option of of uh, tobacco uh, flavored products, what would your what what would your behavior be? What would you what would you do? And what they found was that that 17.1 percent of those would likely return to smoking. And and this is an aspect that wasn't really considered in the proposal uh, from Health Canada that that it's not just going to be dual users that are switching back. We're going to be looking at people who have completely switched to vaping that now cannot find something that 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 doesn't taste like garbage to them or doesn't uh, taste like something that that entices them back to smoking. Uh, we, we're going to have on both on both ends, um, you know, a return to smoking, which is going to cause harm. But more than that, uh, we all, they also found that study that same study also found that 28.3 percent. Uh, of, of people would find a way to get banned flavors. And that really echoes the one of the statements that was made uh, in that video, that you're gonna find a way to get them. Now, finding a way to get those flavors, that can come in, in, in a couple of different forms, right? So you can have uh, somebody who's ordering, you know, online and getting products from overseas. Um, you can have, of course, like we discussed, we can, you can have people that are, are buying products from an illicit market source. You can also have people that are DIY, so do-it-yourself uh, uh, products, which is also another particular concern we haven't touched on yet, where you know, the, the, the ingredients to make e-liquid, uh, uh, to vape, they're, not, they're readily available. I mean, you, you, can, you can buy most of these things, the vast majority of them, uh, uh, you know, from a local retailer, um, it's propylene glycol, vegetable glycerin, both of which you can get from any shopper's drug market or pharmacy, uh, and uh, food-grade flavoring, uh, you know, some nicotine concentrates. I mean, those are readily accessible online as well. But the food flavoring, now a lot of people don't, you know, who do DIY, you know, may not understand that, you know, there's a difference uh, in in food flavorings that are appropriate for for vaping and those that aren't, and those that are appropriate for flavoring are what we call water soluble. Uh, that's what what uh, e liquid is is made out of. It's 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 a water soluble compound. They're not oils. Um, now what we would have is there's a lot of uh, uh, food flavorings that are oil based. Now that's great. That's fine for for ingestion. But when you start to inhale that, that starts to become a problem. And 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 I, you know, I really don't want to connect, uh, you know, our, you know, nicotine vaping to this whole, you know, Evali thing. Uh, but what they did say was was it was an oil based, uh, you know, vitamin E acetate uh, issue. Right. Well, well, and I know, think the fact the fact is there, uh, Dan, is that 
since we started covering this issue in 2015, Health Canada voiced explicitly, you know, is to get the product manufacturing to be in a safe environment, right? To get the making of e-juice out of the bathtub, out of the garage. And what this is doing is this is going to return the whole industry back to being incentivized to do something like that because literally you can't make a buck. You can't keep your business going if all you're doing is making tobacco flavor and mint or menthol flavor that are not allowed to be sweetened uh, and supposedly, you know, supposed to taste like crap. I mean, that was actually uh, uh, pretty much the objective. It's 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 how do we make vaping products as unappealing as we possibly can? Well, right. what we do is we take out all of the the sweetener, anything that that you know may make it taste good. We restrict it to tobacco, mint, and menthol. But more than that, what we do then is is we we create an ingredient, an approved ingredient list. Uh, and, and one of our technical committees that actually reviewed that found that that 10 of those ingredients, those 82 ingredients that were proposed, were actually on the carcinogenic, mutagenic, reprotoxic uh, uh, list. So, so that wasn't a great list in and of itself. Um, but even even more so, I mean, I mean, when you when you look at this, um, you know, the 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 measures that they're applying are going to push people into these other these other channels yes of course you know you've got the these other things but when you make a product as unappealing as possible especially when it's a harm reduction product we're not talking about a product that, that's that's tobacco or or alcohol where there's no harm reduction value we're talking about something that is far less harmful that's recognized by health canada as being so uh and and, and we're putting these measures in place I mean, you know, that makes it, in, you know, incredibly unappealing, and that's the, the the goal of it. And then, and then even beyond that, then you have a situation where where they've also proposed a a sensory attribute panel. So so now you have manufacturers that are like, okay, I can only use these 82 ingredients. Uh, now I make, you know, I find a way to make something that's slightly appealing uh, uh, to, to to vapors, but now. I have a sensory attribute panel that's going to review my product in a couple of years from now. And they can say, ah, you know, this actually tastes too good. So it's non-compliant. Well, that's a subjective thing. Taste and, and, and sense are very subjective. How, you know, and, and, and how do you, how do you apply that? Who's on that panel? I mean, the, the, it, it gets so complex that, that, you know, you're really, what you're doing is you, you you're giving a gift to the black market. They want that. They want this to happen. I mean, I mean it black, the black market views this as it's a low risk product. It's just I mean, I mean it's even lower risk for them than than tobacco. Tobacco, you know, illicit tobacco I, and and they believe yeah, they they absolutely traffic in in illicit uh, tobacco products as well. Sure. They're going to look at this and be like, "Yeah, this is this is awesome. We'd love it." Uh they're waiting for it. And we're going to start seeing organized crime. Absolutely. And, and I didn't really, you know, until we got got into this, even I didn't I didn't really understand understand the, the, the scope of what it could be and, and how these organized crime groups operate and, and the products that they sell and that they use. And, and it's not, you know, 
it's not a, a nothing thing. This is a very real, serious concern that we should all be concerned about. We all, you know, want to have a, a regulated, quality controlled, legitimate industry. Uh, so, so, I mean, but this approach is, is uh, it's got so many unintended consequences that were not considered, that were not seriously thought through and, and, and included in their, their analysis.